Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm a lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of the Small Business Big Life podcast. I am your host, Derek Van Ness, and we are coming to you live again with another incredible episode. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about some things that are really near and dear to a lot of people's heart. I have as my guest today, Barbara Connolly. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Hi, Derek. How are you? I am great. I'm I'm excited to talk with you as we were doing the the pre-show conversation. A ton of good points came up. So uh, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about uh, what you do, what your business is, um, and, and how people can find you if they love all the things we're about to discuss. I'll be happy to do that. Um, I am a private college admission consultant. I'm the owner, founder of College Choice Counseling and Educational Consulting Company, where we have a team of 50 counselors and tutors. I have a brick and mortar business in Birmingham, Michigan. We practice across the United States and Canada. Um, I can be found at collegecc.com. So College Choice Counseling, simplified to collegecc.com. Very good. So uh, you have a, a really interesting story because uh, you know there, there are a lot of things that you were headed in one direction, you moved the other direction. So you've had a, life, a lot of life experiences that we're just about to talk about. But before we get into that, I always like to ask if there was one piece of advice you could give people, uh, you know, business owners or people who are looking for, you know, advice on how to how to create, get their kids into the best colleges and make good choices that way. Uh, what would that piece of advice be from you? Come prepared and add support. Don't expect that the student can do this without your support and support from team members like mine that are tutors but come to the process prepared. Yeah, that's start that's, early. That's an interesting take because you um, what I hear you saying is that it takes a village, right? This isn't something that most students can do or will be able to do super well on their own because there's there is a lot that goes into it. We were talking about that prior to the call. Um, what what kind of support would a student need just so that I can kind of flesh that out a little bit for people who are listening? So before they start the process of applying to college, if you see that a student is not doing well in school or having trouble in a subject, get some support for that student by way of a good tutor so that they can get one-on-one help in that subject or with that problem, whether it be learning differences or just struggling in a class. When you're in the college admissions process, getting help from myself or a team member on the College Choice Counseling team to help navigate the difficulties of the process is another way to provide support. 
Great. I just know a lot of parents are, you know, they're, they haven't done this before. They're trying to figure it out. So it's good to know that obviously being proactive <clears throat> is such a big deal. And I know you and I talked a little bit about this, um, you know, doing things purposefully. Uh, and I just want to ask one more question around, you know, just sort of the, the college uh, highway that people are trying to get on and figure out is what, what kind of preparation can people do? How, how can people approach this purposefully? Because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I want to go to college and I want my kids to go to college. And that's about it until they're like a junior or senior in high school. And then they just start filling out applications. Uh, what can people do to, to be more purposeful? Well, as I just said, start early. So if I was to reduce my best piece of advice to all families, start early in the high school career, as early as the freshman year of high school, to anticipate that you'll have to present yourself for application to college at some point. And what will colleges want to see? Let's reverse engineer this. They'll want to see a student that has worked hard in rigorous classes and succeeded and they'll want to see an engaged student who's been active in some clubs and activities. And they will want to see possibly even some recognition that student accomplished during high school. So if you start early, you'll have these uh, data points for the college established and your application will run smoothly. Great, great. On the great. other hand, if you come to the process, I'm prepared. Um, so the next question I, I want to ask you is just, how did you get into this field? I think you have a really interesting story because I know you were a, you were a lawyer. Uh, how does someone go from law into helping people with college? Like that's a seems like a big jump. It happened by a confluence of events. I had this background in litigation. I had four children. So with four children, after a point, litigating was not the best career for me. I needed some time to reduce my practice, come home, raise four children. And in the process, there came that moment when my oldest son needed to go to college. So using my legal skills of organization and advocacy, I applied myself to that process. And in the process, learned how private college admissions, elite college admissions work. And I was so successful in helping him get admitted to numerous Ivy League and elite colleges that people started asking me for help with their children. So accidentally, it became a consulting business on a very low level at that point. I had three more children to navigate through the process. But with each child, I achieved very good results for my children. So the demand for my services as a consultant outweighed even the demand for my services as a lawyer. And the rest is history. Yeah, I was going to ask how you do that because, you know, this type of thing, uh, lawyers traditionally, they make really good money. So generally uh, replacing that type of income takes a pretty big leap of faith or a big jump. Uh, how did you go about taking something where there's people who want it and figuring out how to monetize that so that you could leave your job and make all that work. For a lot of people, that's kind of a, an interesting conundrum of leaving a good job for something that could be better, but you don't know. Well, I like I said, I had been I had owned a firm. I um, had reduced my practice because I had four children. So the first step was prioritizing my family and raising my children. So I had modified my income. But yes, as I was being asked to work and not just raise a family, I started wondering, 
how, how would I charge for this? And it was suggested that I charge much like I did as a lawyer by the hour, the dreaded hourly billings. <laughs> and I, I, I did that and um, found that people were, were willing to uh, pay and compensate me at that rate. Now, I also knew that they couldn't get a lot of services at that rate, which is why I built my team so that people could pay people at lower rates to do a lot of the work that I was doing. Yeah, I've, I've noticed from your website that you have quite an extensive list of services, especially on the, on the tutoring side. Um, what made you decide that you wanted to kind of go that direction as far as, uh, as the tutoring? How does that play into the whole thing? And how does that play into your, you know, one, getting people into schools, but also from a business model standpoint? Well, people come to college consultants and they are saying, make me into the kind of a person that a college would really be attracted to. And the only way to do that is to teach, teach students to be good students. That is the work of a tutor. So that's why I started building up my team of tutors and building up my students. They're stronger in physics and chemistry and algebra. That's what colleges want. They don't want someone packaged or marketed by a consultant. They want someone who has the goods of knowing how to do well in rigorous courses. And these tutors work one-on-one with students to get them in that condition. So you said something there that I want to dig a little deeper on. You said turning them into good students, not helping them pass the class, not helping them get the grade, but really like, it sounds like there's a focus there on teaching the right study habits and the right approach. Do you guys approach it that way? Or did I just pick up on something that's a little different? No, you're, you're spot on. We do. We all have a, a, a serious um, love of education, and we want to share that with students more than anything. We want them to learn to love to learn, and all of my um, tutors have that approach, and they're very um, passionate about it. And students do tell me, I feel like a different person after being through this process with you. Um, I'm told all the time I've changed someone's life because they became introduced to the, the personal reward of learning. Wow. That's, uh, that's a big deal, right? That really makes, yeah, yeah. I love that feeling when we do that for people with money and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm just a different person and I approach things and I feel different and I live different. So that's so neat. Now you and I spoke about this a little bit before we started recording, but I feel like this is an important point and you touched on it a moment ago. So I want to follow it up is that uh, a lot of people are, you know, trying to find the marketing firm, the the people who can like loophole their children into a school or whatever. First off, everything I've read said that does not serve kids because they get into schools they shouldn't, and then they get smashed and beats up beats up their confidence. But you were really talking a lot about, you know, teaching the kids to do the work. Just can you elaborate a little bit more on why that's been been your approach and and the difference you've seen, or if you've seen the marketing approach and how that doesn't work. I just want people to understand that a little better. I have seen the marketing approach. I have early in my profession helped students that leapfrog into schools that they should not have attended. It it does not turn out well, as you just mentioned, it will batter self-esteem. It might lead to failure that is hard for a student to recover from. And there's no joy in it whatsoever. Even the student knows they've cheated their way into that school. What we do is we bring that um, 
exposure to what it's like to be a really highly educated, hardworking person. So you might have noticed many of my tutors are themselves from Ivy League and very elite and rigorous colleges from MIT to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, University of Michigan, great schools, because they've had that experience of learning and doing it the right way, the hard way, applying themselves. And they share this in a very personal way with students who then become um, motivated by their tutor to, to do the same. And this is the best way to be admitted to the right college. We start to assess, well, it looks like you're just not that good at physics and math. Maybe you shouldn't look at engineering. Maybe we can help direct you to where you belong, not try to cheat you into an engineering program where you'll just disappoint everyone, including yourself. Yeah. And you said something there. You said hard work, right? And I, I want to be clear about something. Like people say, oh, it's hard work. And I know the, the MO for a lot of people is to take the easiest way they can. But I have found, and I don't know if you've seen this, that people will oftentimes spend as much effort trying to get out of doing work as it would take to just do the work and be the real, real deal. Do you guys ever see that? I mean, do you, I, I think you probably see the song and dance out there a lot, right? Well, I do see that people come to me expecting that I would be able to package something that is not quite good, make it look very good and skip over the hard part. Mm. We don't do that. We don't encourage people to do that. I try to get people interested in the pure joy of hard work. When that college admission scandal happened and parents had paid money to get their children into USC and other schools, the first thing I thought was, why would you cheat your child out of the best part? The feeling you have when you worked hard and you achieved success. They were actually doing the worst thing they could do for their child. You would say, well, they loved their child. They were trying to help them get into a good school. You didn't give them the best part of the process. You didn't give them that feeling, the personal rewards of hard work, which you should, I think, from day one, teach your children. So this brings up a really interesting thing, and it's related to what you do, but a little unrelated. I see it in uh, when I work with a lot of clients who are high net worth clients, right? Their kids struggle because mom and dad have the resources to kind of help the kids through a lot of things and they don't have to fail quite as much or deal with those really, really hard, hard things in life. How do you approach the parents? Because I'm sure you get plenty of parents. I want my kids to go to Ivy League schools. Mom and dad have done real well for themselves. Maybe the kids are struggling or don't have the work ethic or more, much more interested in their phone or YouTube than they are in preparing for school and doing this hard work. How do you, how do you help parents make the transition and how do you help kids make the transition to like really doing the work? Cause I think that's a little bit of the special sauce is when you've got the resources to make life easy, short term, it's great, but long term it doesn't prepare kids. How do you, uh, how do you help people turn that around? Well, we try to get granular about their child. So we will put them into tutoring for a standardized test like SAT. And they will say, this is terrible. Why doesn't he have the top score instead of the middle score? (laughs) And that's when we get granular. Let me explain. Junior is struggling with science and extracting data from a graph. And that's why this this subscore is lower. So let's let's be realistic about what his aptitude is and let's see if we can focus on that and they can watch that junior keeps struggling, but maybe the score doesn't go up. It's not the fault of the tutor. It's not even junior's fault. Now we're just have to make choices within reality. And 
the students relieved, by the way, because many of these students, they're wealthy, the, the path has been eased for them, but not always. When they get into that classroom with other science students who do better in science, they're aware money, wealth, ease, I'm still falling short. So when we get granular and specific about what is wrong and what is right, parents start to latch on to how can we fix this? And it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a really great process to see it when it happens. I won't say that there aren't some families that say, just let me buy that score. And you saw that in that college admissions. <laughs> sure. It's, it's not valuable at all. No, no, it's not. And I, I really appreciate you guys for like doing the right thing for the, the student, right? And like you said, I think so many of these kids, mom and dad have really great intentions and they love their kids and they want to do what's right for them. But they also, it's a lot more work, not only for the kids, but for the parents to let the kids struggle and have to fight their way through it and fall on their face and have to pick them back up and, you know, help them dust themselves off because it's sometimes easier to just do it for them, right? So, um, so I, I want to transition from this side of it, just a little bit to, to your business. You guys have been at this a long time. Obviously you, you kind of mentioned to me that like in the beginning it was, you know, helping friends and family and people who are interested at, at what point did you decide, Hey, this is something I want to get really serious about. And how did you go about like really building a strong team? I think a lot of people who listen to the show, they have smaller businesses. Maybe they have a, one or two employees, but they want to make that that bigger jump. How did you approach that? Because it seems like you built it based on a law firm. I'd love some some insight in how you approached it. So to answer the first part of that, I started getting serious about it when I was going to ask to be paid to do it. And coming from a professional credentialed background, I did not want to do this as a mom working from the trunk of my car. I felt <laughs> I needed to be credentialed and educated. I went to work at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and an admissions um, role so I could learn how the other side of the business works. I joined professional organizations that had uh, thresholds for admission, the Independent Educational Consultants Association. I took an exam to be certified as an educational planner. I just couldn't feel comfortable going uncredentialed into this and asking for compensation. So that's when I became very serious about it. And as I said, the law firm model was so natural to me having come from that background. It costs a lot to hire the managing partner, but you can get many of the services you really do need at a much lower cost. And that's where the team uh, was built slowly but surely and very selectively, by the way. So that's, that's what led me to that. Also, most private college admissions consultants are solo operators. It, it was very uncomfortable to me. I was always looking around for couldn't somebody else help. So it was just the natural, I need more help. I need support. And it builds on itself. One day someone comes to you and needs an ACT tutor, but the next day they need a physics tutor. So you just keep seeking out these, these very qualified people. Yeah. So how, how do you qualify your people? I think sometimes that's also tricky too, because people's resumes or what they say aren't always what they deliver or who they actually are. Um, but it sounds to me like you really pride yourself on the right people in these positions. Do you have a, a way that you approach that or a system that you use for that? I'd be interested in just kind of hearing how you vet people and discover that. As I started adding people, again, it was so personal. 
So my four children had a fifth grade teacher. Each one of them had this fifth grade teacher, but their daughter, her, the teacher's daughter, was tutoring in Los Angeles. And I called her and said, I, I actually need some help. What can you do? And I learned what she was doing. And then I had her experiment where there was a low stakes situation with one of my students. I got very good results. So I experimented with her. And um, from there, I started realizing, you know, there I have many relationships, my own children having attended all these elite colleges. I connected with them asking for, do you know people that love tutoring and have these kinds of qualifications? But at this point in time, the director of my company, a, a person with a background actually in finance like you and someone who has been the um, CEO and COO of large companies actually vets uh, tutors uh, that we find through all of the different resources that anyone would find tutors. So he interviews them. Um, they have to provide credentials. Uh, they have to test with some of our students before we can uh, rely on them for future students. But we form very personal relationships with them. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, it sounds to me like, to some extent, you you went out and looked for, you asked people who've, who've used the service before, who did you use, where did you get good results, kind of coming from the other end as opposed to, hey, we've got a job, who needs a job, right? Because... <laughs> We do see that the that question, doesn't always yeah. work. The question was, who's already doing this and loves it? And then who gets along with me was the first threshold. And now who gets along with my chief um, operating officer? Yeah, no, that's great. I, I love that approach. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's very wise. So, yeah, I just know that for a lot of people, of course, getting the right people on your team is just such a massive part of, of building a business. And it sounds like you've been able to do that and you're very passionate about it. So I wanted to get your, your perspective there. Um, now, you, you also mentioned to me that you guys have been on, it sounds like, an incredible growth curve. What do you think has allowed that to happen? Because obviously, if you grow too fast, it can be a huge mess and all fall apart. Uh, if you don't grow fast enough, it can be a problem. How have you managed the growth that you guys are seeing based on some of the numbers you were telling me? Well, like I said, it's a 200% compound annual growth until COVID where there was a small pause, but then we picked up right from there. The reason for this growth, I think, has been this importance that people are placing on college admissions, especially elite college admissions this year, because Schools were not requiring test scores as often. We found that there was a huge surge of applications at the most elite colleges. So somewhere out there in the water, people believe that if I can get into an elite school, that would be the, the, the ticket to success. So gradually over the years, there's obviously been an increased interest in attending these schools. And so demand for private college admissions consulting, but during COVID more so because people in the remote learning predicament are so disconnected from their traditional high school college counselor. That's definitely contributed to my growth during COVID. Uh, pivoting and making sure that I have this technology to operate this way has also helped a great deal. So ed tech, I have to give some credit to definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, so having four kids who this is kind of on a personal level, but something that I think a lot of people would, would be interested in, I don't have any kids of my own, but but I find the whole thing uh, fascinating. Your kids have gone to Ivy League schools. You've obviously had a lot of people go, go through. You have a lot of counselors who have gone through them. Do you think there's a distinct difference in what kids get out of elite level schools versus schools that are maybe one or two tiers down from that? 
I mean, do you really think there's a difference or, or not? And there's no right or wrong answer here. I'm, I'm just genuinely curious. So just full disclosure, my oldest son was admitted to numerous Ivy League schools. He selected Harvard to attend. My second son was admitted to Stanford and many Ivy League schools. He chose MIT to attend. Down the line, my next son chose Harvard. Yeah. I think what they encounter there are their classmates. I think that's very important. And at MIT, there's no question. You are getting a wealth of, of knowledge and opportunity to learn. Um, but no, I don't think there's a dramatic difference between the Ivy League schools and what you can learn at schools several steps down from the Ivy League schools. And in some cases, if you're not serious and intentional while you go through college, you could miss out on everything that's going on at an Ivy League school. You can't miss out on what's going on at MIT because you're expected to <laughs> perform at a very high level there. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's just interesting to hear. I went to a, a small school, not a private school, state school in Utah called Southern Utah University. Honestly, the school is set up for teachers in agriculture in the rural part of the state. But because it was a very small school, I had and not very competitive, I had really incredible opportunities to get into leadership without even meaning to, right? There was like almost like a vacuum that kind of sucked me in. They were looking for people to help do things. And obviously at other schools, it's it's not that way. So I was just curious. I got an incredible education. It was the right fit for me. Um, but I just kind of wondered about that. Like, what would it have been like if I had gone to uh, an elite Ivy League type of school? Because I had really good grades and probably, you know, the 90s were different than they are now. It probably could have gotten into a, a very good school. So I just always wondered about that. And I don't have any like insight or knowledge. Most of my friends have gone to decent schools, but not a lot of them Ivy League. So thank you. For you sharing. would have been like my Midwestern kids at these schools where people would come into the room with someone from Nebraska and say, hey, Sam, do you know John? It's like, why would I know him? I'm from Michigan. But to them, it was all the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you're in the flyover country, so you would have been one of those and you probably would have done really well like you did at your college. If you did well at your small college, you would have done really well at the Ivy League school. And I, I totally admire the fantasy because I always fantasize that I would have gone to Yale had everything been different socioeconomically because that's a part of this. Sure. So you're sure. in business and finance. You have to figure out how to finance this kind of education. Is it, I mean... I don't know your politics, but we've seen some pretty bad behavior from some people from all these Ivy League schools on both sides of the aisle in politics. So mm -hmm. then you think, well, maybe I didn't have to go to an Ivy League school. I think I'm good here at University of Michigan. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd like to believe that there's good and not so good people all the way up and down both sides of the aisle and up and down the economic ladder and all the different things. But yeah, there's no question that uh, I, I sometimes wonder better behavior, worse behavior at different schools, different, uh, different cultures and different things. So it's all very fascinating to, you know, because who you grow up with and where you spend your time really does matter. Um, you know, who your friends become really makes a big difference in life. I know certainly a couple of key friends of mine have had a massive impact and influence in my life. So I just always wondered how that, you know, how that played out that way. It, it really does come down to how hardworking you are. So you were hardworking and ambitious in college. So you did very well and met similar types of people. You could go to an Ivy League school and meet very lazy, maybe wealthy, distracted people. Maybe that wouldn't really help you very much. But if you go there and you're the kind of person you are, you put a 
put your, those kinds of people around you that are similar to you. So it's really hard to say how it would have turned out, but you could have had some bragging rights, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I did an internship uh, during college in the Bay Area. And it was like Stanford master's degrees were like the people at the, you know, at the Starbucks, the baristas, because so many people there had those kind of degrees and they wanted to stay in the Bay Area. So it was really wild. Like if you're here in Salt Lake City and you've got a master's in XYZ from Stanford, people like kind of raise their eyebrows and there it was kind of like, oh, another one of those, huh? Okay. It was just kind of interesting to be yeah. like, wow. I have to admit, I've gotten a little bit that way about the Ivy League degree. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, everybody's got their priorities. And I think, like you said, at the end of the day, it's how you feel about it, how, you know, what it means to you. If you wear that as a badge of honor and a reason to rise up and be the best you can be, I think it's a great thing if you use it as a way to, you know, abuse power. I suppose it could be a bad thing, just like anything else. It's a, it's a magnifying glass. It just magnifies whatever you want to make of your life. So, um, so let me ask you, uh, Couple other and here, my children's degrees reflect on my business. So people do say your mm. children went to these schools, and the first thing I have to do is disabuse them of the idea that that's necessarily the goal. Right. It's, the goal is to do what I did, which was help raise them, support them to be the kind of person that could go to these schools if that was what they were meant to do. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is the right fit is more important than the name of the school. 100%. And um, some, I, someone once said to me when I said, oh, my daughter is studying for the SAT in the middle of the summer, someone said, well, you're raising a different kid than me. My kid doesn't want to study for those sorts of things in the summer. I said, no, I'm raising a kid differently than you. I'm not raising a different kid. Anyone could raise their kid to respect that there's hard work needed to go into the success that they're going to experience. So that's one of my missions, as you heard throughout this interview. I was just going to say that's a really strong theme for you is hard work, hard work. Like, and listen, people are always trying to look for the shortcut. I've kind of always joked that the, you know, the distance between two points is always a straight line. Now, a lot of people choose to take the, the windy road, but there's no way to make two points any closer than they actually are. You still have to walk that distance, right? Do that work, you know, gain those skills, whatever you want to think of it as. So I love that your, your emphasis on that, because I think there is, a culture out there, not everybody, but a lot of people, their culture is to try and get out of as much work as possible. And I think, you know, there's sort of two sides of the coin. There's the, I'm trying to get as much out of life as I can versus trying to put as much into life as you can. And I think those get very different outcomes. Even in our own businesses, we've had the trial and error experience. It isn't always pleasant. No. Oh, that's made us stronger. It's made us grow. I'm really happy to have had my background as a lawyer. I, I did battle. I was in the trenches. I did some of the hard things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And it sounds like it's served you really well. So, um, so something I like to do at the end of the show is we're wrapping up here, Barbara. The first thing is, uh, before I forget, remind people where they can uh, find you online or connect with you if they want to know more. So they can find me online at collegecc.com where they will also find that I'm about to publish a book by the way college admission success but the way to find me online is collegecc.com great great 
And something I like to do on the show, and I'm sure you didn't know this coming in, is I like to give people a quick platform, 30 to 90 seconds to say anything you want to say, whether it's related to what we're talking about today or not, but just give you a platform to, to kind of talk to our listeners, share any thoughts you have about what's important to, to be said out there. So take it away. So that what that is a surprise to have this opportunity. But what I have to say is in raising your children and helping your children attend college, uh, plan, uh, do the hard work as we've been talking about. And that same is true in business. Uh, as you start, plan for success by adding team members, um, anything you need, uh, start early, plan ahead. Um, I really wasn't expecting this opportunity. So um, <laughs> what else can I add here? Um, and I, I told you it before the show, I'm actually something of an accidental entrepreneur in that I was asked to help people. And then I started converting myself into someone that could do that. Um, there's sometimes it pays to be reactive. If you're finding that people are not seeking you out for the candles that you're making, then maybe you want to pivot and see where you um, shine and where people want your services and go with that. And from there, like I said, I think the next best and the most important thing is to to build a team. And um, for me, it's always been extremely personal. As I built my team, these, these young people that work on my team, they do feel like my own adult children. Um, We, 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 we work together. I know it's it's not right to, Think of your employees as families. They, they're, they're team members. They're not family, but to some extent, it's exactly like that. You want to build up your team just like you would build up your own family as you're helping your children to school, et cetera. You're teaching them and you're uh, just gaining more and more ability to communicate really easily and well with them. That's worked really well for me. I appreciate that. I think it uh, it speaks to you know, a lot of what has helped to make you successful. So I just, I really appreciate you taking some time today, Barbara, to talk with us about, uh, you know, what you do and uh, what you've done in business and share some of your your knowledge and experiences because that's what this is about, highlighting people doing great work in the world and kind of how you've been able to get it done because sometimes it looks a little easier than it actually is. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you. It was very interesting, Derek. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Venice, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business Big Life movement. Now get out there. Create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.